Hamilton comes out. Is he ahead of Max Verstappen? No, he is not. Max Verstappen pulls the undercut on Lewis Hamilton. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Undercut Podcast. We are back in the nick of time to preview this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. Yes, you are hearing that correctly. We are back. There is a summer break and it is now over and we can finally get back to all of the good stuff. And I'm joined as always by my excellent co-host, Jesse Goodington. How are you this evening? Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, lining up to be a bit of a busy week. I've got uh, a full weekend at Silverstone planned, potentially some F1-y bits there, but all classic stuff, as well as obviously the Belgian Grand Prix. So, uh, yeah, just lining up for a, a fairly hectic, or well, it's going to be almost sort of 21 days by the time we get to the end of this triple header, isn't it? It's a hard life for us in the motorsport game, I think. But uh, we're not just joined by each other, because that'd be weird, and I've already popped up that one, so we can move that around. Um, also joining us this week, Ellie Mae Taylor, of course, the third musketeer for us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent, and... As it's a triple header for F1 and F2, more or less, yeah, F2 is there for all three of them, Christ, is going to be busy. We thought, who better to bring along than inside F2's Fraser Ford? How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Yeah, as you say, it's uh, it's going to be a busy busy few weeks, Formula 1, Formula 2 and Formula 3 with, with triple headers. So, uh, yeah, we've got our work out, but um, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah, we love a challenge, don't we? So we're definitely going to be getting stuck into it. And we're going to launch right into it with this podcast with what the hell has happened, which it's great that we have you here, Fraser, because there's a lot of kind of F2 news, which is mainly F2 drivers getting F1 practice sessions. And some names that we weren't necessarily expecting are in there. Um, first, uh, I'm just going to list through them one, then we can talk about them. But we've got Liam Lawson, who's going to FP1 drive, and then Logan Sargent, who's going to drive for Williams in FP1 in Cota, which is great for him because American driver, American track. And then Robert Schwartzman is the other F2 name, which is a little bit surprising because he's not really been anywhere for the past year that we've seen too much. He's just been around making some fun baby Yoda content from the look of his Instagram. And he's now driving under the flag of Israel, and he's going to drive for Ferrari in both of their young driver F1 sessions at some point if you want, in the second half of the season. So which of those are you most looking forward to? I mean, all of them, Timo. I'm, I'm really excited for all of them. I, I mean, listen, Logan Sargent has had such a brilliant season in Formula 2, hasn't he? Obviously, the highest-placed rookie, P3, in the standings. I think a lot of people think he, he probably should have moved up uh, to Formula 2 last season. Obviously, didn't get that opportunity after a brilliant Formula 3 campaign in, in, in 2020. Um, and, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him. And, obviously, that's a, a move that, um, yeah, you know, it could be with a view to a drive, maybe. Maybe next season, maybe in 2024. We'll wait and see on that one. Uh, Liam Lawson, uh, an incredibly talented driver, um, obviously with the recent events, which we won't talk about, uh, moved into that kind of, uh, you know, next in line role, if you like, in, in the Red Bull, uh, yeah, the illustrious name of, of Red Bull Juniors. Uh, so I think that kind of makes sense from that perspective. And you don't know what's going to happen in the driver market. We've seen how ridiculous City season has been over the summer. Uh, so if Alpine go for, for Pierre Gasly. I kind of feel like Alpha Tauri needs someone lined up uh, just in case. So that makes sense. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing Liam Lawson um, yeah, have, have, a, have a little run 
Robert Schwartzman, as you say, yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone really saw, saw that one coming. But you know what? Robert Schwartzman is such a talented driver. Again, you know, Formula 3 champion, uh, came so close in Formula 2, uh, an incredible driver. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd say that's the one out of the three that I'm most looking forward to. Um, but, um, yeah, all, all very exciting talents. And uh, I could see all three of them potentially having a future in Formula One uh, with, uh, yeah, the, the merry-go-round that is the driver market. So I think Schwarzman for me is going to be the most fascinating one there just because he's been out of the car for so long and they're sticking him into a Ferrari, which any other year, like, eh, we'll see what he can do. But this year could be quite interesting indeed. Like you said, Jesse's already waving his hand frantically and wants to say something about so obviously Fraser hinted at Liam Lawson with his F Red Bull links and potentially with Pierre Gasly moving to Alpine to free up one of those Red Bull seats. Although potentially something that's just fallen off the rumour mill that I picked up earlier today, Mick Schumacher to Alpine and then potentially Antonio Giovinazzi filling in that seat at Haas. It's not stupidly far-fetched and it neatly links into the little next sort of news nubbin of Giovinazzi's back. I'm really excited because it means I can wear the hat again. Um, he'll be driving for Haas at Monza and Cota in the FP1 sessions. So I'm really hyped for that. And it means that potentially we'll see some more driver swaps through the rest of the season. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Which, because it's going to be Schwartzman and Giovinazzi were not necessarily drivers we expected to see having time in the cars for FP1. It was kind of who's in F2, who's in a driver academy. Okay, Alpine, it would be doing maybe... Or Piastri, but now Piastri, who knows what's going to go on there if they give him uh, any time in the car. So it's interesting to see what both of them will be able to do. And especially with Giovinazzi at Haas and not Ferrari, kind of, that one is the most intriguing one there. Nothing against Horton, a great driver, like we say, but just interesting that it's that way around and not something else. Go on, Fraser. Yeah, I was going to say that there's still so much that could happen in the driving market. It's just it's ridiculous, really, as I've said. But for for me as well, I, you know, I could see Mick Schumacher at Alpine. Uh, I could also see him going to Alpha Tauri as well if Gasly does move on in that Porsche potentially coming into to, to Red Bull, the German link there. Um, and, and would Porsche want a German driver in the car? Uh, is Alpha Tauri a better option for him than Haas? Maybe it is. I'd say I wouldn't say it's a step down, but with a view to a move up, whereas I don't think he really he has that has in terms of ferrari but i think the ferrari seats are, are locked out for the next couple of years i don't think sergio perez is obviously going to be at red bull long term so i think that could be a, a potential move that, that that we could could look at um but yeah it's just so exciting at the moment isn't it there's so much so much going on in the driver market the other thing is that helmet marco has actually praised uh mick schumacher recently and when do we see helmet marco praising drivers outside of the red bull ranks never so so even if you're in the red bull ranks it's kind of hard to come by if you're in there so it's like if Mick does get that avatar see how pissed are the other drivers going to be like oh come on really Liam Lawson I'm right here why what do I have to do how much hold does um Ferrari have on Mick Schumacher do you think they would let them him go to AlphaTauri they, they will let him go these days because he hasn't renewed his FDA contract his Ferrari Driver Academy contract so he is looking to be a free entity on the driver market. And equally, I think I'm right in saying Benetton, obviously his father's historic team, do have links to Renault. They were in bed or they became one another as time mm. went by. So if he's going to go to Alpine, I think there's obviously a, a lot of historical links that a lot of people would be happy to sort of really jump on the bandwagon with. So it's 
it opens up a lot more doors than I think anyone initially anticipates. And as you start to piggle away at it, obviously Alpine very competitive this season. They've got a lot of momentum behind them over the past few years, especially when they sort of changed to sort of the black and yellow livery with Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon. They've got come on leaps and bounds, and if they can keep this up and bring in a young, talented driver to sit alongside Esteban Ocon, that's a driver lineup they could hang on to for a good long while, which is interesting. What, so, what should have been a straightforward driver market for 2022 has completely been turned in its head. But luckily, mate, we have someone who is just sensible, is happy where he is, and has re-signed a multi-year contract, and that's Alex with williams Yeah, I kind of think, where else could Albon have gone? Um, Should he have even been going anywhere? What's wrong with Williams for him for the next few years? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean... We're all hoping that Williams will get better, and he's. I mean, Alvin is doing a very good job there, so there is kind of no reason for him to move. And if you're looking at him and Latifi, Alvin's clearly the driver that you kind of want to keep. So I think, yeah, I'm glad that Alvin is kind of here for the foreseeable future. He's a good driver, and I think he deserves a, a second chance at, at F1. Outrageous disrespect to Gotifi. I think also along the Albon line, if Williams are looking to bring Logan, Logan Sargent into their fold, they might have looked at the work Albon put in with Sonoda over the previous season where he was working as his driver coach. They know Albon's now got the talent to help develop a car and develop the team, but equally develop a young driver. And they've seen that. They've looked at their driver academy and gone, holy hell, we've got Logan Sargent. If we bring him in a bit early give him a summer to work with Alex Albon, get him up and straight. Might be a bit of a rough start at sort of the season, but as the season develops after two, three years, they could have a really competitive driver pairing there. They might eventually retire Albon, but by that point he'll have worked his magic with Sargent and Williams might have made a very clever play there by bringing in a sort of a teacher for the young padder one. And not so clever play there is, is the tenuous link I'm going to make to the next point, Jesse, because you've got some news about Las Vegas. Yeah, a bit of news on Las Vegas. It's set to proceed Abu Dhabi as a back-to-back. They've leaked the dates for it as well. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I think it's sometime in early November. It's a Saturday as well, which is mm. odd. Uh, first time we've had a Saturday race since the last time Formula 1 raced in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace, I believe. Could correct myself in the edit with some facts there. But again, it means the time zones balance out for the rest of the world. Uh, the one problem I have with Las Vegas is, A, the circuit looks dull as dishwater, and also the tickets are stupendously expensive. For one night in a hotel that will be overlooking the circuit with an F1 package, it is the cost of an average house in somewhere around the Midlands in the UK. And that... Yeah, I mean, if, if you saw my Instagram post earlier, or put it on the story, someone had done the calculations, you could go to, I think it was Fra France, uh, Budapest and Monza to watch the Grand Prix and you could do all of that and hotels, flights, tickets and everything and still have £50,000 left over afterwards. So yeah, essentially you could... from America to do it as well. Yeah. So you've got transatlantic flights thrown into that. If you're doing it across from Europe, easy enough. But yeah, the money on it is absolutely silly. For the... We saw it sort of coming with the Miami Grand Prix. Tickets oh. there were tens of thousands of dollars and I think Vegas, they've taken that concept and gotten a bit silly. Well, at least Stefano Domenicali is saying that they're not just in it for the money, so we've got no reason not to believe them, I guess. So how are they going to do next year's calendar then? Are they going to do something stupid like Texas, 
Mexico, Brazil, Qatar, go back to Las Vegas, environmentally yes. go back yes. to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I think this might be a one-off for... I, I Honestly, I have no clue how they're going to fit it all in. Potentially, Qatar moves to a different point in the calendar around the Bahrain time. So they would try and season. lump um, races together by region to make it a bit more environmentally friendly so they'd have two in the least at the start and two at the end so that at least they're not going left, right and centre all the time but then going from Las Vegas to Abu Dhabi. Mm, not exactly the, the shortest trip in the world no matter which way Rangivadi you go. So. Well, even doing Brazil to Las Vegas... That's still mm. quite a way. You may as well do Texas, Las Vegas, then go down to Mexico and Brazil. Yeah. We're going to need another calendar episode, Jesse. I will, I will prepare my travelling map to put that one together, because <laughs> that one took a good week to animate the little moving line. Uh, anyway, we'll move on from a terrible circuit to one that's really good. We all like Spa and Belgium, and they've got a new trophy this year. And I really like the look of it. It looks absolutely incredible. I don't know if you've seen it yet on social media. It's similar in style to the Austrian Grand Prix trophy, where it's a wooden outline of the circuit. It's made with locally sourced, responsibly farmed wood. Amazing, really nice environmental touch. Then the middle bit of it is filled with water, so it's sandwiched between two glass planes. So the middle is filled with water from Ur Rouge, the river across which the circuit runs. And then at the bottom, essentially, between the bits of corners that are Bruxelles and Stavolo, they filled it with broken up bits of tarmac from where they renovated Eau Rouge Radion, the circuit, earlier this year. So it looks like a really nice sort of piece of trophy artwork. And I, I just really like it and wanted to mention it, really. That, that's all. I don't know if anyone else had anything to chuck into it. I think it's probably going to be one of the best-looking uh, trophies this year, principally because France got rid of the giant monkey trophy. And Hungary got rid of their beautiful sort of vases. Yeah, I know. I was really disappointed about that. I and me. Yeah, I wanted the nice white and blue porcelain ones, yes. but the sort of thing your grandmother would keep salt in. <laughs> I don't have a segue for that into the 2026 tech regulations. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't really. It's a pretty tricky one to try and weave some sort of script. I'll, I'll Monty Python it and say, and now for something completely different. The 2026 tech regulations have been unveiled, and Jesse, you are our resident, I hesitate to use the word nerd, but I mean endearingly, so you, I'll let you take over that. I'll take it for endearingly so, yeah. Um, I'm sort of the Apple genius bar for Formula One technology on this podcast. Uh, yeah, the 2026 tech regs have been ratified, so we've got the new powertrains coming in four years' time. Still going to be developing over 1,000 horsepower but more of that is going to be electrical. The MGUK will deliver triple what it currently does. At the moment, it's 120 kilowatts. It will be looking to produce 350 throughout a race at the moment, uh, or in the future, rather. And the MGUH is being banned, which is the motor generator unit heat, I think, which is a really complicated and very expensive part of the system. It doesn't produce a lot of energy, so they're getting rid of it, and this is one of the things that has incentivized Porsche and Audi and other teams like Andretti to look at coming into the sport because it makes power units cheaper. It also means that we're going to see potentially the return of turbo lag where we're going back to the good old days of the 80s when you had your BMW M20 engines turned up to kingdom come and then the turbocharger comes in at the very last 8,000th RPM. Uh, this means the cars are going to be a bit more different to drive. You're going to have to really think about how you play with the cars and also how you meter out your electricity. We could see them go to similar to IndyCar with a push-to-pass system where you deploy electricity down the straights as simply a means of 
just going a bit quicker than the guy next to you. Uh, a key element to this is also the fact they're going to be run on sustainable fuels. The fuel will be carbon neutral at the exhaust, so what they grow to make the fuel will absorb and use the same amount of carbon dioxide that each quantity of fuel will have produced when it's burnt, so it's going to be net zero, which is a great thing environmentally. Unclear on whether or not this incorporates production, refinement and transport of the fuel, as well as storage, but it is well as good as we're going to get for a step in the right direction, and critically, it's road applicable, which is a good thing to see at the moment, especially with fuel prices being so high for naturally sourced fossil fuels. So finding efficient and carbon neutral alternatives is good. Equally, when I say carbon neutral, this is coming from novel biomass instead of using food mass. So instead of taking things that we've grown for food to turn into F1 fuel, we're growing alternate crops in potentially alternate locations to sort of incentivize ecosystems but at the same time promote the carbon neutrality uh equally municipal waste is also going to be incorporated into the fuel so uh, we'll be taking skimmings from sewage and food waste and using that to generate our new petrol for f1 which again all good things and it's nice to see it being incorporated into the sport weird that it's coming along post sebastian vettel or potentially this is the vettel effect coming in which is a good thing. Uh, final few points, the power units will use less than half the amount of fuel of that of the 2013 power units. They were the last of the V8s. Uh, we will however have had this power unit since 2014, so by the time we retire it that will be 12 years of grind from the hybrid V6, which is quite I a long while. Yeah, it does make you feel old if you remember when they were first introduced. Um, one of the things this comes more down to the structure and design of the cars, the high voltage equipment will be contained within a safety cell, so the battery materials are also going to be recycled. This is going to be incorporated in the main sort of crux of the chassis and the survival cell in which the driver sits. This just prevent, prevents either electrical leakage in the event of a crash, it stops it completely electrifying the car, and also prevents things like battery cells cracking and causing electrical fires, which is probably a good thing for safety. And one final thing, as I mentioned earlier, the production costs are being covered by an engine cost cap. So things like variable length intake trumpets are going to be banned. It's going to be a very much standardised series of parts for an engine. There's still going to be room for development between manufacturers, so you're going to have, again, different advantages between power units, but it's going to have to be done within a cost cap. And as we've seen with the cost cap of late, that's done quite a good thing to bring racing a lot closer together we look at how close what was once the back of the field is to the midfield and the front of the grid these days so it's going to be interesting to see how it's implemented whether or not this podcast is still going in 2026 is a different matter and i, I might have to eat my hat at that point in time i'm going to be really mean here and pick on your frozen and ask you what you think about all of that and if you think it's all going in the right direction well, I, I hope the cost cap is, uh, you know, increased a little bit, bearing in mind the price of electricity at the moment. It's, uh, yeah, we'll... Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think they're all positive. Listen, anything uh, for me anyway, I, you know, we all love the V10s, we all love the V8s. I think the V6s were, were a little bit disappointing when, when they first came in. Uh, but, you know, anything for the environment and to protect the environment, I think is, is a positive thing. Uh, you're right, you know, obviously Sebastian Vettel, I expect has had a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a, an impact on, on, on that, if you like. I just hope that we don't go back to how we have been in, in the past where we've had regulation changes and things have, have reset and we've seen such a big gap between the front of the field and the back of the field. And, you know, we got to the end of 2021 and I think actually quite, uh, you know, collectively the grid, you look at the midfield, how competitive the midfield was. And, you know, I, I think it was... Um, 
yeah, uh, you know, really bunch, you know, definitely compared to 2014 when these engine regs first came in and, you know, the Mercedes were finishing a lap quicker than everyone else. Uh, you know, 2022 reg changes, I know obviously they're not the engine changes, but I think they've been positive and I think the, the field will close up again. And I hope we don't get to 2025 and the grid is really, really close. And then we get to 2026 and it means that the grid is spread out again. I, re- I really hope that's not the case. Um, but yeah, listen, I think they're positive changes. Um, I'd like to think as well that a few other manufacturers are maybe, you know, sniffing around. I'd like to see... Um, more than just uh, Porsche or Audi uh, looking. I, I'd like to see uh, a few other manufacturers as well. Um, I don't know who. Uh, I know you mentioned on the, on the podcast the other day about Toyota, and I love that idea. Toyota back in Formula One. I'm, I'm, I'm so game for that. I'm so yeah, game for that. I was thinking just with, with the Honda and Japan and all the connections there, it'd be a great time for it. And it just, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the time when at least Jesse and I, I think, got into Formula One a bit more or at least just from a historical point of view from going back, it was just Toyota seems the kind of team from the with recent history that would be great to come back into that. But also there is, of course, Andretti, who, if you saw the plans for their, their technology centre earlier, it looks like they're just copy-pasting the McLaren Technology Centre in America, which hopefully is a sign of things to come in terms of them coming into F1 properly. Um, but we can only speculate on that one for now. But the last thing I will say on, on the point you make, there, Fraser, is that if we do get to 2026 and there is that big gap between teams again, the only way I won't be annoyed with that is if it's Williams who are out front and leading everything by country well because they absolutely deserve it. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd, I'd love to see Williams back at the front again. And uh, I'd be interested to know where, I mean, obviously with the with the manufacturers, it, um, you know, uh, Mercedes, you know they're going to have a Mercedes engine, but for people like Williams, for customers, uh, it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, what engine supplier they go for. Uh, would it be a Mercedes? Would it be a Renault? Would it be uh, maybe one Ford. of the new manufacturers coming in? I'd be interested. Ford. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, Ford or yeah, I, I'd absolutely love that. So um, yeah, maybe BMW. I'd like to see Williams BM, or oh, BMW Williams nice. back again. So oh, um, nice. yeah, we'll wait and see. Oh yeah, definitely. And Williams is about the best kind of segue I can give to you, Jesse, for Belgium Grand Prix previously at. Yes, because, of course, previously at Belgium Grand Prix, we had a Williams podium, Um, which, weirdly, I don't think I've put a note in for the last time Williams had... Oh, no, I did, I did, I did. Don't worry. Anyway, yes, so uh, previously at the Belgium Grand Prix, before I get carried away with checking my notes, which I should have done prior to recording the podcast, uh, when did we last go to Belgium for a Grand Prix 2021 last year? Famously, a bit of a washout. Uh, not very entertaining. It was four hours of listening to David Croft trying to fill four hours of television, which uh, eh, wasn't a fan of that. I don't think a lot hey, of people were fans of that. Rain cam on F2 and F3 was absolutely brilliant, and Fraser will back me up on that one. The commentary for watching puddles was unlike anything you've ever listened to. See, it was that was before I got into F2 and F3, and I'm sort of gutted I missed that. But I do recall there being a really fun moment for the F1 where they cut to some marshals right out the back. I think it was somebody near Puon, and they were playing ball in the gravel pit because there was bugger all else to do. And they'd cracked open a ball set and were playing sort of ball or patanka in the gravel set. And I was like, I respect that. 
Anyway, uh, how did the last race pan out? As we've already mentioned, it was uh, not very well at all. Qualifying was a dodgy mess of wet weather running and bad race direction. Commands floundered as conditions worsened until eventually the final session started and Lando dropped it in the treacherous conditions coming up radial. George Russell would go on to out-qualify Lewis Hamilton while still at Williams. Lando looked commanding throughout but didn't run after totaling his car. Bottas and Norris were dropped down the order after qualifying finished, the former for serving a penalty after bowling in Hungary before the summer break and the latter for taking an unscheduled gearbox change. The net result saw Latifi promoted to 10th, something crucial come Sunday. The race was famously, as we've already mentioned, rained off, with conditions deemed treacherous. Perez crashed on the formation lap, was, but was allowed to rejoin the field after his car was repaired. We did see that brilliant scene of a Red Bull mechanic running through the Red Bull garages and falling over at one point, which was uh, a little embarrassing for him, but again, one of the few bits of entertainment we got over that four-hour span. Uh, the net result of Perez returning to the grid, but from the pit lane, I think, was effectively where he was going to start. Uh, it promoted Latifi further up the grid. Uh, the same issues as Saturday prevailed with unclear instructions from the race director stalling the starts when conditions were clear enough for the race to be safely commenced. In the end, after over three hours of delays, the race began from the pit lane, completed two laps, and then ended with only a single official lap recorded and 6.880 kilometres completed. This took the record for the shortest race ever in the history of the sport, eclipsing the previous record set in terms of distance previously held by 1991's Australian Grand Prix, which covered a comparatively gargantuan 52.92 kilometres in 14 laps. It also beat the 1971 German Grand Prix, which lasted just 12 for the shortest race by number of laps completed. For the sixth time in Formula One's history, and the first time since the 2009 Malaysian Grand Prix, half points were awarded. Again, Malaysian Grand Prix 2009, that was famously wet, and there was cars all over the shop with that one. Um, Russell's second place marked his first career podium, and the first for Williams Racing since Lance Stroll finished third for the team at the 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Speaking of the inept Canadian, Stroll finished the Belgian Grand Prix 18th on the road but was classified 20th, having been handed a 10 second time penalty for a rear wing change under Park Ferme conditions during the first red flag period. So somehow in one racing lap, Lance Stroll accrued a 10 second time penalty, which should tell you everything you need to know about this podcast's view on him. But there we go. We'll look at a bit of history and who the track favours. Uh, we'll work from 2007 to the present as the track circuit, the track layout changed a little bit for the track's return after it took a year's hiatus through 20, 2006. Uh, Ferrari have five wins at the circuit, Mercedes just four, putting them on par with Red Bull and McLaren round out the prior 15 with just two wins. Lewis has four wins at the circuit, while Seb is next closest with three. Max, Charles and Danny Rick all have one apiece. Though, wind the clock back enough and the circuit has been a Ferrari stomping ground across the decades. McLaren also a strong runner here, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. Speaking of the weather, as we've already mentioned, uh, the forecast at the moment, or at least from the place that I've used to fairly accurately predict all the previous ones, he says just hitting refresh on the page to make sure his notes are accurate, Oh, hang on, it's now saying a thunderstorm. Oh dear. <laughs> so it was meant to be sunny Thursday, Friday, and then rain Saturday, Sunday, from what I saw earlier. Yeah, so Friday and Saturday are looking to be relatively dry, good conditions, 22, 23 degrees Celsius, but Sunday is now predicted 21 degrees Celsius at a high, but there is a 60% chance of precipitation and a 24% chance of thunderstorms with three hours of rain. No clue when they're falling through the day. But we'll wait. Fraser and I are hoping for Formula 2 and Formula 3 because that will keep that very interesting indeed. 
oh, another wet Formula 2 or wet Formula 3 will be Sheffield. I just want a repeat of Formula 3 from Budapest for every other race from now on because I want to see that kind of march off the field from drivers towards the end. That was incredible. So, regardless of conditions, the question is which on-track battles should we be looking out for? Ferrari versus Red Bull is my initial prediction. This is a high-speed circuit, and if a team can successfully bleed off topside downforce from the wings while engaging their floor well, they will have the edge. Mercedes, with such an unpredictable floor, might struggle and could fall back into the grasp of Alpine and McLaren. I can, however, see Haas having a good time with things, along with Alfa Romeo. That Ferrari power unit does have some sort of ability when it comes to long powerful straights and again if they can get their aero sorted out we might see a good race from the two ferrari customer teams although i did say uh no no, no my predictions for this one do match i was thinking of my predictions possibly for zandvoort when i said that mercedes were going to struggle so speaking of predictions we'll uh, open the field up to someone that isn't me to talk for a second Timo, yes. pole position. I'm just gonna I'm gonna take over here because we all need a break from your voice. No offense. Um, pole position for me. I'm. Oh, if you were listening to the podcast, which you obviously were, towards the tail end of the, the first half of the season before summer break, you know I'm frustrated with Ferrari like most people. So I'm doubling down on what I don't want to happen, but what I think Ferrari deserve coming to them. So Max Verstappen will get pole position for me on this one, and uh, it's just going to absolutely obliterate Ferrari on a time, not even necessarily on time, but Ferrari will do what Ferrari do, and it will cost them pole position. Uh, Ellie May, you are slightly more optimistic, though. Yeah, I've gone for Leclerc. I'm hoping that <laughs> She Ferrari says in might... such an unoptimistic <laughs> way, by the way. <laughs> I'm hoping that Ferrari will sort of come back this sort of, latter half of the season and I was also thinking sort of what track recently have we had sort of quite a few sort of undulations and that was Austria and Ferrari are pretty dominant there so I'm hoping that Leclerc can uh, get it on pole and stay there. So clearly the summer break was not long enough for you to forget about Ferrari's woes from the sound of your voice there but uh, I'll move quickly on. Fraser who do you think is going to get pole position this weekend? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to side with you, Timo, and say that, you know, Max Verstappen, uh, outrageous around here, isn't he? You know, if we saw his, his pole position lap last year. I, I do think he will edge it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really interested to see, obviously, with the, the changes to, to the floors, how they're going to impact on Ferrari, Red Bull. Um, and um, yeah, maybe, Mercedes. I know, Jesse, you've just said you can see Mercedes slipping back slightly, but I'm, I'm slightly more optimistic for, for Mercedes. I, I think it could bring them into the battle a little bit more. Um, and I'm interested to see how close they are. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Max Verstappen for pole position. As you were saying in your, your previously on bit just now, Jesse, that Max Verstappen does have a win here, but it was last year and that was a race. So the interesting, it's kind of curious that he's not won there before, considering that he has been around for a little while now. So with essentially being the best driver on the grid at the moment in the car that he's in, it's going to be interesting to see if, if Spa is something he can claim properly this year or if it is kind of remain elusive to um, but again with the wet weather who knows but uh, Jesse you're also being oh pray to go on no I was going to say can I change my prediction I, I'm just thinking <laughs> George <laughs> Russell <laughs> listen George Russell was second in a, in a Williams last year right so he's got a gain at least five seconds so I'm going George Russell in a Mercedes <laughs> is going to be five seconds clear on pole no 
That's a bold yeah, I, don't, I don't know what he's doing for his bold prediction, but I'm loving where this is going already. This is London because, yeah, again, obviously, we're going to see. I think we are set to see some floor changes coming into this race, and it'll be interesting to see how that shuffles things around. I know Mercedes has been struggling with theirs. I don't know. Potentially, it's me being optimistic. Potentially, it's the sort of the just wanting to be able to wear my new cap with pride. And I don't know, it's going to be the Charles Leclerc pole position for me, at least. I've got to get some excuse to wear it. Um, so yeah, that's my pole prediction, Charles Leclerc. Although we were saying about Max Verstappen not having... Obviously, he won last year. He got his trophy for it. He got half of 25 points for such a thing. But we've never really seen him have a proper full-out race win here because when Daniel Ricciardo won for Red Bull, he was properly outclassing Max Verstappen around here when they were against each other in the Red Bull. I remember that race, and I remember Danny Rick was up the road from Max. Was... Was Max Verstappen there? Yeah, yeah. The, for Daniel Ricciardo's Spa win, I'm he, fairly certain he was racing against. Twenty fourteen, um, wasn't it? No, it was twenty sixteen. Yeah, maybe twenty sixteen. I thought it was twenty fourteen uh, as well. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I this thought it was twenty fourteen. Controversy. This is where we've gone off script. I don't have notes for this section. <laughs> We're in dangerous waters here, people. <laughs> Uh, ooh, 2014 he won. Yeah. So, oh, who was he? I'm trying not to be <laughs> old. That's what that is. It's denial. Yeah. Oh, great. There's a picture of Pastor Maldonado immediately pops up. Um, You're getting distracted already, Jesse. Matt Verstappen wasn't born then, so... Uh... No. <laughs> ha- Red Bull hadn't conceived him in a laboratory at that point in time. This was the days I'm of... I'm trying not to make Homelander comparisons. <laughs> Oh, now that is that is an idea for a later podcast. <laughs> F one, but the boys edition. Yeah, um, I I in, find it mad that Ricardo won it in twenty fourteen. Yeah. yeah, I think he was one of the few drive. It was it was only because it was that essentially it was Rosberg, Hamilton, or Ricardo. I think was winning. It was mm. I think he was probably the only one who was who was winning it. Uh, well, no, this was the time when Williams were pretty good because the yeah, but they didn't win any races. Was Bottas. They didn't win any races, no, but Bottas was. No, I'm saying race. for wins, it was only Ricardo or Mercedes. Yeah, really. Uh, potentially, yeah, at that point, yeah, Seb was sort of fading a bit at Red Bull and Danny mm. Rick was coming through quite strong. Anyway, that's besides the point. We've got our pole, predi- pole position predictions. A lot of alliteration there to try and put together. So we'll move on from p- all those P's to another P in the podium for primary position, Timo. Yeah, despite me saying about Max absolutely trouncing Ferrari and Charles Leclerc to get pole position, I don't think he's going to win the race, but it's not going to be thanks to Ferrari's strategy. It's going to be thanks to Charles taking a leaf out of Carlos Sainz's book and not listening to them and it working out better for him than what their own ideas are. So I'm going to say Charles Leclerc gets the win, Max Verstappen hot on his heels in second, and we get a nice tasty fight there like we got a la Saudi Arabia or Bahrain earlier this year. And then, like we were saying, Mercedes, they're just there, just waiting to, to pounce at any given opportunity, and I think they'll get that, especially at Spa. So he's going to claim the third spot on the podium. Ellie May, we've kind of got very similar podiums there. Yeah, I'm hoping that when we uh, do our Belgium review that I can proudly wear my Ferrari top. So I've gone for a Leclerc win, Verstappen in second and Sainz in third, which I kind of think is bold not having a Mercedes on the podium because they have pretty much 
always been there in the last few races so I don't know we'll see I'm hoping for the best and so for any of you listening who are worried about anime we're getting the help to deal with this Ferrari depression and we're working as hard as we can Fraser who do you think is going to get on the podium well, as I said, if George Russell gets pole by five seconds, he wins by five laps. So, uh, no, I, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I, I, I do think Verstappen will be on pole and I, I think Verstappen will go on to, to win the race as well. Um, I think Leclerc gives him a good run for his money um, in, in P2. Uh, and, the, and, yeah, P3, um, I'm going to go really boring and say Carlos Sainz. I, I, I do think, uh, yeah, Carlos Sainz will be... Uh, yeah, there or thereabouts, not quite up with the with the front two. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm optimistic about Mercedes, but um, uh, yeah, maybe not quite on the podium just yet. Unless there's a crazy race, and if that's the case, then uh, yeah, maybe they will be. But um, yeah, I'm going to go for Stappen, Leclerc, Sainz. And Jesse, you're very similar, but with a surprise third place. Yeah, I've gone for Charles Leclerc taking the win on this one, winning from pole. Carlos Sainz second place and Lando Norris third because I reckon he's going to come into this feeling he's got a lot to prove after last year he was looking incredibly quick around that track despite the conditions and I think he's he's obviously secure in his seat but I think just sort of around this circuit he knows he's got something to prove and I can see him having a pretty furious and very fast and competent race so yeah, third place for Lando. Wouldn't be surprised about this one. We've all got Charles Leclerc on our podium somewhere, which is quite interesting. And also possibly very bad news for Charles Leclerc going off some of our track records of predictions for this podcast. So we apologise in advance to him for that. I was going to say, fastest lap will be the next thing that we go across there. And despite him getting a little bit of flack, I think Carlos Sainz is going to get fastest lap there. If it's like Fraser says, he's going to be a little bit further back from the top two on the podium, then... Potentially, if he's got a big enough gap to pour, like towards the end of the race, there's no harm in pitting this time, and Ferrari maybe, maybe won't cock it up, and he can go and get a faster lap. And uh, if it's a wet race, then maybe it'll just be at the point where it's worth risking it to, to see if you can put on some slightly fresher, drier tyres, and uh, go and nab an extra championship point and try and claw that gap back slowly to Red Bull. But, uh, you, you've gone for. Red Bull again, though, Jesse. With my prediction, yeah, for fastest lap, I reckon through the race and at race spec, I can see them having the slightly quicker car, and I reckon Max will be pushing hard to try and catch Charles, and he's going to be in one of his big push laps that he's going to set fastest lap through the race. So it's not a bold prediction. It's quite commonsensical. We'll see what happens. Any bold prediction from you, Fraser? Whoever's in P6 gets the fastest lap. And, and the, the, the reason I say that is because I think that the front three teams are going to be so far ahead of uh, the rest of the field, Alpine and uh, McLaren and Haas and whoever's in that midfield battle that got, come the last couple of laps, I think whoever's in P6 will come into the pits, put on a new set of tyres uh, and, and set the fastest lap. So, I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not going to give you a name, but I just think whoever's in P6, if that's all right. I thought we had that kind of prediction before. I'm just going to think the odds aren't worse for you. They're just different. <laughs> I like I like that game. That's quite a good one. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. If you're going by the top three teams being dominant, dominant, (laughs) surely that means the person in P7 gets the fastest lap. Yeah, that's... Yeah, because two Mercedes run away, two Red Bulls run away, two Mercedes run away, that leaves P7 as the next car on the road. 
What do you mean? Oh, in ter- no, I mean in terms of whoever, they're so far ahead that whoever's in that P6 has enough, they have a 20-second uh, buffer yeah, yeah, to come in, okay. make a pit stop, yeah. put on a set of fresh tyres, and then, yeah, and yeah, that's what I mean by that. So He's thought Clever. about that for a second longer than we did. That's, that's what he's done there. <laughs> uh, as for you, Eddie May, who do you think is going to get the fastest lap of the Grand Prix? Uh, I think Lewis Hamilton, because I think Mercedes are still a threat. Imagine if he's in P6. Imagine. That would do wonders for the cumulative guest, who's probably still not doing too badly on our predictions. There, I can't remember if they're losing yet or not. Uh, point, point behind me, I've just overtaken them, I think. Ah, so cumulative guest has a lot of work to do. Potentially, they might claw it back through the wild predictions. Team, I'll leave you to open up with this one. Yeah, again, I'm not sure if it's that wild or not, but I'm trying to think this far, it's kind of 50-50 on whether if it will be or won't be. Uh, I'm saying there's going to be seven retirements in, in the Grand Prix, and you'd think maybe Spa, that's obvious that it's going to happen here at all places, but at the same time, we've had some remarkably keen races over the years as well, so I feel like you either get a Spa 1998 or whichever year Grosjean decided to just tornado himself in there, um, and... Or you just get a pretty quiet time. So I think it, we're, we're overdue on a bit of mess. So proper, you're going to have a little bit of that, I say. What about you, Ellie Mae? What do you reckon? I reckon there's going to be a Williams top 10 finish. They're going to do maybe not as well as last year, but... We won't complain if they do. No, we won't. <laughs> so Williams in the top 10. Fraser, what is your bold prediction here? You can let all your creative juices flow here. You don't have to worry about it. Now. Yeah, yeah, bold prediction. I reckon if it rains, we'll see a minimum of four pit stops per driver, um, just purely because uh, I, I think, you know, if it does rain, it doesn't rain, well, last year it did. That, that ruins that, actually. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't rain for very long. It's more showery, and it? it's a bit like Malaysia, as you say, and uh, it, it, it can dry up quite quickly. So, Potentially, if we if we do see a bit of rain onto the wets, back onto the dries again, and uh, yeah, obviously we we'll get a Jensen Button twenty eleven kind of yeah, maybe maybe that's going to be my bold prediction. I don't think that'll happen, but that's my bold prediction. If there's four pit stops in Formula Two, I'd have to check what you're drinking. <laughs> if there's four pit stops in Formula Two, then I think the team yeah the teams are going to have their work cut out because uh, obviously not used to those pit stops. So uh, yeah, absolutely, I, I I'd be here for it though. If uh, if there's four pit stops in Formula Two, that that, that sounds like good viewing to me oh definitely and there'll be wheels all over the place down the pit lane <laughs> if it's four pit stops in formula two there'll be cars coming out with two wheels on and everything chaos but fun chaos uh my wild prediction for the formula one um a mercedes will finish outside the top eight which i think is quite bold given the optimism people have for mercedes coming into the race and again this was based off of the notes i'd initially written sort of largely neglecting other teams having different flaws coming into this but I can see potentially one of the Mercedes struggling and uh, I think an early prototype of my podium predictions had George Russell on there somewhere so I'm not going to say names but yeah you can uh, you can jump to your own conclusions about uh, which trying Mercedes to protect himself so he can keep winning the predictions game by not naming yes. names yes if I keep it purposefully vague I can still win this but yes a Mercedes will finish outside the top eight well, the last time I said that Mercedes wouldn't do well was Hungary, and they got two drivers <laughs> on the podium. So, 
I was going to say, between the pair of us, anyway, we, we have one interesting magical curse ability on drivers in either positive or negative. But once we figure this out, we can be setting whatever results we want here. So, just got to just nail that down. And then we can definitely beat Jesse at his own predictions game. But I feel like, as you're here, Fraser, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't talk about Formula 2 a little bit, especially as it's coming back straight off the summer break after... Uh, some, but for a pretty good season as well. It's got to be said. We've got a three-way battle for the lead, and we've got a triple header coming up, as we said before, but for, for a massive gap until we get to Abu Dhabi. So we've got Drogovic, v Porsche, v Sargent. It's all pretty crucial. Do you reckon that Drogovic potentially has the most work to do, though? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Actually, I, I think that listen, momentum is a massive thing in in in, a, in any kind of motorsport, but particularly Formula Two. We saw a couple of years ago in Mick Schumacher's championship winning season that, you know, he took the momentum into the second half of the season, and he went on to win the championship from behind Robert Schwartzman, who was in the lead at the championship at the time. So, uh, and the same last year of Oscar Piastri, obviously Guan Yu Zhou leading the way for for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think that Terry Porcher definitely has the, the momentum. Um, and I, I think Felipe Drogovic has got his work cut out. But listen, I, I definitely hope that, um, uh, you know, it's a really you know, strong battle until the end of the season. I, I don't think, um, you know, if, 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 if Porcher, you know, does really well in the next three, four races and Drogovic is nowhere to be seen, then I think that's a little bit of a... It's, it means that the title is tainted slightly if Taylor Porsche goes on to win it. So I hope it's a really strong battle between those two drivers. I think Logan Sargent is probably a little bit too far away now to, to, to be in with a, with a shout at the championship. Um, for me, Taylor Porsche is, yeah, is, is, is the favourite. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the market, right? Because, you know, Terry Porsche wins the championship. Where does that put him? Uh, I certainly hope that we don't have another situation where uh, Nick de Vries, Oscar Piastri, where the winner of Formula 2 uh, isn't in Formula 1 next season. But, uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, it's looking that way at the moment. But, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for a, for a good end to the season. So I think Sargent could end up potentially being a bit like Mercedes in F1 at the moment this year, where... You're not going to win the championship, but you can take points away from the other two, and that's going to be very interesting to see how that hinders their battle to see how, how much an impact that has on that. Um, and interestingly, maybe coming into Abu Dhabi, because there won't be a lot of seat time for the other two potentially in anything else, but Sargent's going to get to have a go in an F1 car in, in Kota. Maybe that's all the kind of positive momentum and seat time of the car he needs to then come into Abu Dhabi and just absolutely run away with it for those two races at least and just leave the two for dust and then they're having to figure out how we win the championship from coming fourth and fifth maybe so it could be very tasty indeed for us yeah absolutely I, I think you know Sargent ironically is probably the one with the, the best shot at a Formula 1 drive next year even though he's not he's not winning the championship um, just purely because of the uh, the the domino effect, which is you know Formula One and and, and the driver market. So um, I I think the next three rounds are incredibly important for uh, Porsche, for Drogovic, and for Sargent. Probably more so for Porsche and Sargent, who really have their sights on on a Formula One seat. I I don't think Felipe Drogovic is. I think even if he wins the championship, he won't go on to get a Formula One drive. Unfortunately, I think his future is in IndyCar. Uh, I think. 
he's unfortunately he's, he's the victim of third year tax in Formula Two mm. terms, whereby uh, he's he's had a couple of years. He was beaten by Guan Yu Zhou last year, um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately that means that he's he's kind of had his chance. I mean, Terry Pochet, if he wins the championship in his second season, I think that's completely valid. Uh, Logan Sargent, obviously doing well in his rookie season in Formula One. We uh, Formula Two even we we don't need to talk about how uh, how good he is. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. It's um, it's an important three rounds. I think if Porsche and Sargent have really strong rounds over the next three rounds, they're putting themselves right in in place for for a Formula One seat. If they have bad rounds, um, I think Sargent has another year to play with. I think if I think Porsche and Sargent potentially have age on their side. There, Porsche, we kind of get carried away with it a bit and forget how young he actually is. He had a birthday recently; he was only something stupid like nineteen or something. Um, and it's like how and okay we're not too worried about you you could go off to IndyCar for a couple of years come back and you'd still be fine um, whereas like you say Drogovic it seems weird to call him old but for F1 drivers trying to get in these days it kind of is so and the only place we would have stuck him was Aston Martin well Alonso ruined that for everyone so yeah exactly that exactly that I do, I do think that was probably his only option and uh, yeah as you say Alonso's uh taken that and uh yeah throwing that away so um yeah it's uh it's definitely an important three rounds listen uh, if they're going to do it they've got to do it now because if they have a good round in abu dhabi i think the decisions will already be made by abu dhabi yeah. so i think the next yeah. three rounds are, are incredibly important for both logan Sargent and for, for terry porsche and the last bit of f2 news that we have there fresh off the press from today is that lorenz and delhi is going to be replacing ollie caldwell for this round because he's been banned for getting 12 points Finally, I mean, not all in Hungary, uh, but he finished off there, which uh, surprisingly didn't know about that a bit sooner. I'm sure they all knew behind the scenes, but it seemed it seemed when I read it, it was like a bit cruel to tell Ali the week of race week starts that he's not racing at the weekend, but probably knew well in advance. But uh, I'm not entirely sure how he managed to get that many that quickly. He didn't seem one of the obvious drivers for it. Yeah, he 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 did he would he did know um, off the back of Hungary that he'd be he'd be missing the the next round. He obviously hit those twelve penalty points. Uh, seven of those penalty points came in Bahrain on the opening round of the season. I mean, no, and they were all for track limits as well. Yeah, and I, I, for me, I think it's incredibly harsh that not only do you get a five second penalty in race for. Um, you know, crossing the white line four times, but also you get a penalty point for it, which for, for for me is very harsh. I think it should be one or the other. You get a five second penalty in race, and uh, and that's as far as it goes to get double to get five seconds and a penalty point. I think is a little bit harsh. So yeah, I do feel for Oli Caldwell, but I think it's really obviously Lorim Zandelli, uh, a, a well known figure within the the feeder series world, did very did did reasonably well in, in Formula Three. Had a had a reasonable season up until the last couple of rounds where he lost. Seat last season, I think is a good benchmark for Ollie Caldwell for to compare. You know how how Lorenz Zemdeli gets on compared to Ollie Caldwell. Um, I'm not quite sure. Obviously, Roberto Meri stepped into the injured Ralph Boschung seat the last few rounds. Um, he's got Super GT this weekend, so uh, I'm not sure whether he'll be in that seat or not. Uh, Chen Bolik Bassi's been taken out of Sharus's Instagram uh, bio. Um, interesting. Uh, so, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know whether he'll be off to Campos to potentially partner Lurim Zandeli and David Beckman, a super sub of the year, could potentially uh, go to Sharus to uh, to, to replace Bolik Bassi. The question I had there, and I was nervous, I was going to throw it to Jesse. I'm like, which driver do we know, Jesse, that we keep wanting to put into F2 that we could have had for a weekend? Ooh, Jess Hawkins. <laughs> 
<laughs> that wasn't where I was going, but I was going to Jamie Chadwick, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to mix it up because, again, obviously, no, <laughs> Jess Hawkins has got her Aston Martin links. She's got as much as Jamie Chadwick's got her Williams links. I don't know, what was the race to the top? I think those two will be coming through possibly around the same time we see uh, Little Abby Pulling come through as well. So it'll be a. There's, a, there's, there's a surprise for next year of all the people to get that Alpine C to be Abby Pulling. Yeah, a Titanic trio fighting their way forwards, and out of nowhere comes Abby Pulling somehow. She sort of fudges enough points onto a super license to go, Alpine C, please? <laughs> and they go, oh, go on, we need someone. <laughs> Again, just shows that, again, a bit like we had Abu Dhabi last year, Fraser, where you had a couple of the F3 drivers uh, coming in for the last couple of races. Maybe this is exactly what a couple of the three drivers need for Inspar. And again, we've still got three rounds after that. Who knows what else is going to happen there? Maybe more penalty points, maybe. Roberto Mary just decides, oh, I don't really need to see the point in being here. I'm like triple the age of everyone else here at this point, so let someone younger have a go. So who knows what else we can see there? It's just classic F2. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, and it obviously Formula Three taking place this weekend, which kind of you wouldn't if you're a championship contender, you wouldn't want to miss the round. So I think it's either going to be someone in the midfield who doesn't really have anything to play for, um, or you do go for maybe a, a W Series driver, which I would absolutely love to see. I'd love to see Jamie Chadwick or, or Abby pulling in in a Formula Two seat. Maybe it could be yeah a little bit a little bit too early for them. Maybe maybe they're looking at Formula Three rather than Formula Two. I I I don't know, but um yeah, as you say, Roberto Merry obviously getting on a little bit. We don't know. There's so many nuns. It's um you know Roberto Merry if he was in Formula One would be the seventh oldest Formula One driver, but here he is turning up in Formula Two, uh, and uh, yeah, putting away Masanya run for his money to see who can be there longest. <laughs> Exactly that, exactly that. I think, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, let's, yeah, or, yeah, I, I, we won't talk about Roy and Leave Simon. that one there. Yeah, I think once the championship for F2 will be sort of largely wrapped up, obviously they've got the triple header coming up and then there's a big gap for them until um, Abu Dhabi. There's a very real chance that they'll know exactly how the championship is panning out when it gets to Abu Dhabi. There is that chance that potentially some of the sort of super sub drivers, you know, the likes of your Roberto Marys, the people that have been hopping around through the season, might just say, ah, sod it for the last race. And we get to see someone either from F3 step up, we see an Arthur Leclerc pop out of nowhere, or we optimistically see one of our favourite W Series drivers make an appearance in F2, even if it's just for one race. It... We, we need the characteristics of Sakia 2020 to meet with Formula 2 and just come together for Abu Dhabi, I think. That would be pure feeder series pandemonium, and I live for the idea. Without the Roman Grosjean bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah if he's involved in that somehow, I don't know what's going on anymore. Roman Grosjean returns to European-based single-seater racing to start an F2 team. I, I, on that bombshell, that really is all we have time for in this week's episode, I feel, because we can't, we can't possibly top that. Join us again soon when we'll be reviewing the Belgian Grand Prix. And Jesse, in the meantime, where can people find you if they haven't had enough of your lovely soothing voice just yet? Well, obviously now I can go back to plugging my own YouTube channel because this, of course, goes out on its own YouTube channel these days. So you can go and find me on the internet at most social media and YouTube accounts called Jesse on Cars. But if you like print media and me, oh Christ, when is this going to go out? Depends how quick I'm good at editing on this. Um, when this goes out, you can read about me driving a. Ford, Sierra Cosworth, and an Austin Healey 3000 in print in Classic Car Weekly. Ellie May, where can people find you in the meantime? 
Um, I don't actually know. <laughs> Jessie, you can edit around that. <laughs> she's been sat so quietly for so long while we talk F2 nonsense that she's forgotten. You can find Ellie May uh, doing her key takeaways every now and then on our Instagram account, and also you can find her running our TikTok account where she does a sterling job indeed when Tim and I get a chance to actually give her videos to make, which that that's on us more than anything. Fraser, where can people find you in the meantime? Uh, people can find me on Instagram where I don't post to be honest with you very often uh, or on Twitter uh, both at underscore Fraser Ford one uh, yeah I'm a bit more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram I think it's fair to say uh, but uh, yeah where well, I, I tweet my uh, outrageously ridiculous opinions on Formula One Formula Two uh, and Formula Three um, yeah that's me and obviously people can find you on the Inside F2 podcast if they want more for your series stuff as well absolutely thanks Timo yeah give me a little uh, plug there yeah uh, also <laughs> oh, I remember your podcast <laughs> yeah also uh, Inside uh, Inside F2 uh, where we yeah have a weekly podcast well it's a, a podcast review, uh, previewing and reviewing every round of the Formula 2 season um, and we have some special guests on there as well which is uh, yeah very fun as for myself, in the meantime, you can find me pretty much everywhere. I kind of, yeah, I'm just, I'm just everywhere. Is it fast for my motorsport articles as well as Paddock Sorority? On the curve for my motorsport interviews with people from all across the motorsport world. I really don't have any limits on that one. The Nitro RX podcast for if you want something a little bit different and something that's super cool and fun. And obviously, you can find me on Instagram, where I do probably post more than Fraser has in the last five years combined. And on that note, yeah, we will be back for the review of the Belgian Grand Prix. We'll cure Eddie Mayer for Ferrari depression in the meantime. Jesse will drive some more classic cars, and Fraser will have some more outrageous predictions for whenever he comes on the podcast next time, sure. So until then, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.